Stand together for the reading of the word. We're in Daniel still. Daniel chapter 10. Remind you of the service this week, especially the Christmas Eve services at the end of the week. And then, of course, Winter Grace coming up. Be in prayer for those things. This is uh, almost an entire chapter. There's a couple of verses shy of this chapter 10. Uh, To help us as we read this, a long passage once again, I'll read it as quickly as I can. But this is a vision that Daniel has that is brought to him by special revelation, I believe, from the Lord himself. And notice that we never hear very much, if anything, about the nature of the vision. We've seen visions of rams and goats and giant uh, images and all of these things in Daniel, but here we, it talks about a vision and a vision and more about a vision, but we never see the vision. We never hear the, the vision described. Even here, we don't see what the vision is. So we're going to have to guess as to what the vision is. So as we read this passage, this is basically the, the encounter between Daniel and someone who appears to be a man, and he is uh, describing in first-hand nature his reaction to the man and to the vision. Listen now to the word of the Lord. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. And now now Daniel speaks. In those those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His body was like beryl, his feet, his face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes were flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. But the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell among them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, Man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up, trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words." The prince of kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision 
is for the days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pain, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. And one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you not know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. When I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends for my side against those except Michael, your prince. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I finished the chapter. Just a couple of extra verses there, but I thought they were important. Um, Here's another vision, but we're not told anything about the vision. Daniel, we know all about Daniel, who he is. He's been there in the captivity in Babylon for the full 70 years. He's read the prophecies of Jeremiah, realized it was over. The Lord gave him a vision of how things were to unfold in the upcoming centuries in human history and how God providentially was going to restore his people, bring them back from Babylon and restore them back to the land and rebuild and restore the temple and the city and the people and everything. And then there'd be a period of time and a period of of more time. And then finally, a final period of, of sevens, a 70th seven. And all of these things are quite cryptic and difficult to understand. They've been the object of a diverse interpretations over the years. But regardless, we know one thing that's being told here, and that is that Daniel is being told about the upcoming centuries with respect to God's people and the kingdom of God. Last week we saw, as we looked at the 70 weeks, we saw that principally it had to do with the arrival of the age of Messiah in which the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, we know now to be Jesus Christ who came as the babe in Bethlehem's manger. And there we know what He did in terms of His growth. We know the gospel story of the life and the ministry of Jesus and about His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. But the interesting thing, one scheme of interpretation, which I subscribe to, and I think it's the best one, talks about how basically it's talking about the whole rest of human history, all the way through to the return of Christ. We didn't know in the Old Testament, but what Christ would come and do everything in a first advent. But the life of Christ, the teaching of Christ, told us that Christ was going to return to His Father. And from there... The right hand of God, resurrected, ascended, enthroned Christ, would rule His people on earth for a long period, an indeterminate amount of period of time. And then, at a day and an hour, no one knows, He would return and bring an end 
to human history and usher in the eternal state. And there would be then a wrap-up of this age of Messiah. In fact, that's what this vision refers to. He says, I came to make you understand, there in verse uh, 14, I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. The latter days or the last days or the age of Messiah. That's what it means. For the vision is for the days yet to come. There are days that are future for Daniel and there are days that are called the last days. And the last days of Scripture are the days of the New Testament, the days in which Christ lived, and then every day beyond that until Christ returns. Those are the latter days. Was Jesus living in the latter days? Absolutely. He ushered in the latter days. Was Paul living in the latter days? Absolutely. He was part of that first and second generation of Christians that heard the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, their Savior. He was living in the last days. Peter was living in the last days. John was living in the last days. The apostolic period were the days of the last days. And every day that follows is a part of the last days. You can't get anything beyond the last. It's the ultimate. It's, it's the eschaton. It's the last day. So we're now living even today 2,500 years after Daniel gets this vision. Did you hear that? 2,500 years. He speaks specifically of the period of time of the 500 years between Daniel and the coming of Christ. It was an interesting period. It was a period when prophecy went silent. God had revealed himself in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of manners, to all sorts of prophets in the Old Testament. But then he came and revealed himself completely and fully in Jesus Christ. But in that period of time between Daniel and the post-exilic prophets, that is the ones that appear very last in the Old Testament, Zechariah, Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi, those, each of those prophets prophesied right at the close of the time of the restoration when they had rebuilt the temple. Those were the last men to prophesy. And in each of those books... If we had time to look it up, it'd be a wonderful study. You ought to do it for yourself. They're small books. Each of those books talks about the immediate coming of Christ. They talk about Christ coming. Now, as it turns out, it was a period of about 500 years before Christ actually physically appeared. But these are the prophecies. And during that period of time after they inscripturated their prophecies, prophecy fell silent. So there's 500 years between Daniel and Christ. 500 years of silence. 500 years of no new word from the Lord. 500 different years than what Israel had been used to. They were now operating under a second temple, not Solomon's temple, but Zerubbabel's temple, the rebuilt temple. It didn't even begin to have the glory that the original temple had. And yet the prophet said, this temple would have even the greater glory than Solomon's temple. The thing that made the second temple have the greater glory was that was where Christ appeared. That was the temple in which Christ taught. That was the temple to which Christ went as a little boy of 12. The Christ himself appeared and was the glory of the second temple. Not only that, he promised them there was a greater temple than that, which was his own body and his own church, his own people. So this whole prophecy has to do with the people of God. And we know as we follow it through, there is no question that the people of God included the ancient Judean people that were restored, that went through that period of history. And they, 
survived to a, as a remnant, and the remnant became the believers in Jesus Christ, those who accepted and trusted and believed and followed their own Messiah, their own Savior, their own Savior. In other words, those who believed the gospel as it was preached by the first preachers, and they were gathered into the church at a great regathering of Israel. Then the Bible said, there's going to be more. We're going to have to enlarge the, the, the temple and, the, and the, uh, the cords of the tabernacle to allow for others to come in. In the New Testament, they said, we're rebuilding the, the house of David. The fallen booth of David is being rebuilt. And this influx of all of these others were the Gentiles coming into the tents of Shem as Noah had been promised in those ancient days. The church, the church did not replace Israel. The church is Israel. Right in there with all of the believers. But the gospel was to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And so that's what we have. So this, this vision here encompasses not only what happened to Israel from the days of the restoration and the captivity uh, before it, all the way through to the days of Christ, but everything that would be accompanied in this age of the kingdom, this age of the coming of Christ, this new age, this age of fulfillment, this age that would bring in the Gentiles into the very covenant of Israel, into the very commonwealth of Israel, into the very kingdom of God, which is Israel. With Christ from David as their king. What do you think was in this vision? Well, we get a little bit of a hint about the vision, the way Daniel reacted to it. Now, it's true, Daniel is an old man at this point, probably 80-ish, and uh, maybe a little older. But, and so it talks about him being smitten, falling as though dead. He, he becomes unconscious. There's no strength in him. There's no breath left in him. He's completely um, changed. His appearance has changed. His countenance has changed. Whatever, whatever this vision was, it was a vision that was horrifying. And what was even sad, sadder, he says, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. So I was left alone and I saw the great vision. Daniel had some people with him there as he was on the Tigris River, on the banks of the Tigris River. Following a great fast, he'd been fasting and praying for, for, for three weeks, for 21 days. Did you notice what these days were? These were the days that in the middle of these days was the period of the Passover. It was the first month. The 14th day of the first month is Passover in, in Israel's calendar. And then following Passover is a solid week, actually eight days from, from the Sabbath to the Sabbath. There is a period of time of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Here's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is the great ceremony celebrated, all of it pointing to Christ and the Passover. Times of eating, times of feasting, and he's fasting. And the reason he's fasting is because of the great sorrow. He sees what's happened to his people. Historically, what's happened is even though Cyrus issued the decree that God's people can return back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and rebuild especially the temple, uh, his son, Cyrus' son, had rescinded that decree somewhat and had been working against Israel. So the reports coming back to Daniel from the men that were in the land, such as Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the reports coming back 
was not good reports at all. And he was in grief and he was spending feast time fasting. And he had been at the end of this long time of fasting and praying. We saw Daniel's prayer of repentance and all that a couple of weeks ago. So we know what Daniel's up to when he's doing that. And then this shocking appearance of someone that three times in the text is called a man. Or one that had the appearance of a man. Or one who looked like the children of man. Who was this man that appeared to Daniel? Well, once again, the interpretation is just all over the map. (laughs) An angel. It might have been Michael, the archangel. But I think what you see here is a Christophany. Here's an appearance of Christ in his pre-incarnate state appearing to Daniel that faithful prophet in an alien land who was to become the pivotal prophet that would convey to God's people what they needed to know to last another half of a millennium before Christ would actually come in the flesh so long before Bethlehem long before the actual historical incarnation we have Christ, the the second person of the triune God, fully equal in every way with the Father, making His appearance to Daniel and speaking to Daniel and ministering to Daniel. You say, Ron, why do you think it was the Lord? Well, I'll tell you why I think it was the Lord. First of all, He kept saying man. There's no, nothing about an angel of any sort. It could have been an angel disguised as a man or appearing as a man. That, of course, is possible. It happens. But it was a man. But most, mostly the thing that makes me believe this was the Lord was how he handled Daniel. When Daniel saw him, he was smitten. And what Daniel saw was exactly what you see other Christophanies or Christ's appearing in the Old Testament. Just like in Ezekiel chapter 1, the description here is the linen cloth with the belt of fine gold. The body in its, in its, in its beauty and its radiance, face appearance of lightning, eyes were flaming torches, arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the multitude, the sound of a multitude. This is, this is remnant of Ezekiel's visions, especially in chapter 1. This is this is kind of like the vision of Christ that St. Paul received. It wasn't a pre-incarnate vision, but he had this bright light and the people around him could um, hear the voice but not see. And they fled. Very similar to Paul's Damascus Road experience where the risen Lord appeared to Paul. But here... He not only in what he looks like in the book of Revelation chapter, uh, we have several places in Revelation, we have descriptions of the Lord in glory, and it, it follows that same scheme of what he looks like and what it sounded like. And so the great vision was first of all, the Lord himself appearing. And Daniel did like everybody else in the Old Testament did when any theophany or Christophany appears, they were smitten. Moses, all of them, they fell upon their face as though dead when they see the Lord or this glimpse of the Lord Himself. But the thing that really convinces me that this was the Lord was 
the things he said to Daniel. And that's our application this morning. Listen to how the Lord himself, if it, this is the Lord, ministered to Daniel. Even if it was the Lord, even if it was an angel, he's ministering the work of the Lord in the name of the Lord. But even if this is a pre-incarnate Christ, notice what he does. He reached over and he touched me. And that's what Christ does to his people is he places upon them a special touch of love, of care, and of concern. It is as though he administers a healing from the great trauma, emotional trauma that expressed itself completely physically as Daniel had witnessed this vision, this very upsetting vision. The Lord touched him and he set me up trembling on my hands and knees. One of the things Calvin points out is how the Lord brings us along. First, he, he woke him up from his dead sleep. Boy, if that's not new birth, if that's not resurrection from the dead, if that's not called out of darkness into light, I don't know where it is. He brought him from the dead up. But he only brings him to his hands and knees. And he's still trembling. He still has the effect of what he has seen. And then after a while, the Lord let him kind of get his bearings, get his consciousness back and get to where he could kind of get his senses back. And then the Lord stood him up. That's standing up in the Bible over and over is a, is a motif for resurrection. He raised him. He, he made him to stand. And then, even then, he was trembling. And isn't that the way it is? The Lord can bring us from death to life. We can be regenerated. We can be brought to our senses. We can be stabilized to some extent. We can begin to be sanctified. But we're still not standing up. There's another step that the Lord takes. And step by step, God brings His people to where they're capable of receiving His Word and understanding His Word and living according to His Word. We have to be strengthened. That word is used over and over in the New Testament. It's, called, it's the word edify. It means to build up, to strengthen. And that's the whole burden of what the Lord does to His people. He gives them the strength they need. And this whole passage is how the Lord dealt with him. But listen, listen to what the Lord said to him on this occasion. He told him, he says, He touched me and strengthened me. He said, O man, greatly loved. That's twice in this passage. We've seen it earlier in Daniel. Where Daniel is reminded that he is beloved. That he has been drawn to the Lord with cords of love. Where he is one of the Lord's own. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give to them eternal life. This is the Lord dealing here with Daniel in this way. He touched me again, it says, and strengthened me. And he said to me, listen to what the one who has the appearance of a man says. He says, fear not. How many times does the Lord say that in His earthly ministry? In fact, I think it's His most oft-quoted statement. Fear not. The Lord knows we live in a world of fear and trepidation. The Lord knows that most of our life is consumed with fear, worry, anxiety. He knows that's where we live. He knows we live in a troubled state. And we live in a difficult era. 
And that's, that's psychologically and physiologically, we just can't handle it. And so he needs to give us the strength we need. And that, let me finish this, then I'm going to say this other thing. Greatly loved, fear not, peace be unto you. Does that sound like the Lord? Wishing the shalom, the prosperity, the health, the goodwill, and the eternal life. Ultimately, that's what the shalom is. It's eternal well-being. Everlasting life. Abundant life. This is the greeting and this is the benediction that the Lord places upon Daniel. Be strong and of good courage. In another Christophany, where Christ appears as the captain of the Lord's host to Joshua, at another very critical point in, life's, in, in Israel's life, when they were about to enter into the land, the Lord appeared to Joshua. And what did He say? Be strong and of good courage. The identical words that He says. Why would He say, and so the Lord, I was strengthened. And He said, do you know why I have come to you? Well, the Lord came and brought this vision. What was the vision? Well, I'll tell you what I think it was. And the text doesn't say. But the context is pretty clear. The vision was the future of God's people and how they were going to suffer and how they were going to be tortured and tormented and harassed and martyred. They were going to get it all through the days of the beginning of the building of the temple. They had to work with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other in order to get things done. And that's the way. To, this is about spiritual warfare. This is how God's people from the day of Daniel to the day of Christ's final return in triumphant glory to put all the enemies under His feet and to, to usher in the eternal New heaven and new earth. All that time, whatever time it is, 500 years, 1,000 years, 15, 2,500 as it is to date, 3,000, 3,500, whatever the indeterminate length of time is, God's people on earth are in for it. The kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of His people, the kingdom of godlessness is going to rule and overrule God's people and, and harass them and keep them down. These two kingdoms the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God are going to be in constant conflict. Because this is exactly what he says. I've come so you'll know the message. I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. When I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Well, at the very beginning of this particular uh, episode, the Lord says to him, he says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I was left there with the king of Persia. What in the world is that talking about? Well, I'll tell you what it's talking about, I believe. I believe it's talking about that great cosmic battle between Satan and all of his archangels and angels and whatever creatures he has. fighting against the Lord and His angels and His purposes. What's going to happen all those upcoming years? Daniel saw it in a vision and it made him absolutely unable to stand it. 
It's because he saw what we were going to go through. He saw what they were going to go through in rebuilding the temple. He saw what they were going to go through in fighting the Samaritans. He saw what they were going to do when Antiochus Epiphanes would come in and desecrate the altar. He saw what they were going to go through when the Romans came through with Titus and Vespasian and destroyed. They saw what they were going to go through when they were fed to the lions in the first and second century. He saw what they were going to go through when they were beheaded for the sake of Christ. He saw what they were going to go through during the wars of Europe and around the world where Thousands and thousands of believers were burned at the stake, drowned, and everything else you can possibly imagine, beheaded for the sake. You project all this into the next piece of revelation we get about the coming of the Lord specifically. John the Revelator tells us about these things, and a lot of them are parallel in Daniel. There's a lot of back and forth. John picks up on themes and threads that Daniel leaves, and he tells us about how it's going to be. It's a horrifying prospect, and Daniel couldn't take it. But God gave it to us in order to warn us of what His people are going to go through during this period before Christ finally comes and finally returns and finally vindicates, judges, makes everything right. And Satan and his angels are cast into the fiery pit. That's the scope of the vision. And here's the thing about it. You look at the extra verses that I read there, the extra couple of verses but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael your prince Michael was the protector of Israel the archangel that was designed to protect Israel and that's what Michael's job is always Gabriel you remember we saw was the messenger angel he announced the coming of the king to to Zacharias, to Mary, to others. But it's Michael who's the warrior. Michael who protects God's people. And the Bible indicates that there are hosts around that protect us. Elisha couldn't see it, but the servant could. The Lord said He could call them if He needed to. And they would rescue Him from the cross. The Bible says that one day all of these kings of the earth and their princes, in other words, their guardian angel, if you think of it that way, are going to be punished and are going to be put down. But the guardian of God's people, Michael, is the one that contends. And Christ and Michael, as his chief servant, protect God's people through every bit of this. And the word, it's interesting, he says, but I tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. Here we have inscription. And that's what, that's what we depend upon. Um, we've not followed cunningly devised fables. The Bible doesn't begin once upon a time. It begins in the beginning. And we're dealing with solid truth. And that's why from the very beginning, God has put His words, His revelation, His intentions, His decrees, His gospel, His law, His truth into human writing in order that His people might have an inscripturated word. 
That's what makes it so, so important is that God has gone to the trouble to condescend and to bring his decree and his mind and his cosmic purposes of all this great warfare and battle that's going on, bring it and put it into living word and written word that we might fully understand, fully grasp, and fully understand. Now as a way of application, I'm going to take an extra minute here, and I'm just going to read a passage. I don't have time to comment much on it, but think about this. When the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus in his letter, Ephesians chapter 6, imagine what in the world Paul is talking about and ask yourself, maybe he was describing how Christians are to respond as they are actors and participants in the events of the vision of Daniel. He says to the people, finally, by the way, Daniel is told, strengthened about six times. Find you, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, word of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand up. That's what God did for Daniel. That's what God will do for us. Stand up that we may be able to wage this war. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You hear, hear Paul? He's telling us how to live through the vision of Daniel. Daniel. 